I was twenty-seven years old, and had just maintained my thesis for the degree of Doctor of Mathematics with unusual success, when I was suddenly seized in the middle of the night and thrown into this prison. I shall not narrate to you the details of the monstrous crime of which I was accused. There are events which people should neither remember nor even know, that they may not acquire a feeling of aversion for themselves. But, no doubt, there are many people among the living who remember that terrible case, and the human brute, as the newspapers called me at that time. They probably remember how the entire civilised society of the land unanimously demanded that the criminal be put to death, and it is due only to the inexplicable kindness of the man at the head of the government at the time that I am alive, and I now write these lines for the edification of the weak and the wavering. I shall say briefly, my father, my elder brother, and my sister were murdered brutally, and I was supposed to have committed the crime for the purpose of securing a really enormous inheritance. I am an old man now. I shall die soon, and you have not the slightest ground for doubting when I say that I was entirely innocent of the monstrous and horrible crime, for which twelve honest and conscientious judges unanimously sentenced me to death. The death sentence was finally commuted to imprisonment for life in solitary confinement. It was merely a fatal linking of circumstances, of grave and insignificant events, of vague silence and indefinite words, which gave me the appearance and likeness of the criminal, innocent though I was. But he who would suspect me of being ill-disposed towards my strictest judges would be profoundly mistaken. They were perfectly right. Perfectly right as people who can judge things and events only by their appearance, and who are deprived of the ability to penetrate their own mysterious being, they could not act differently, nor should they have acted differently. It so happened that in the game of circumstances, the truth concerning my actions, which I alone knew, assumed all the features of an insolent and shameless lie, and, however strange it may seem, to my kind and serious reader, I could establish the truth of my innocence only by falsehood, and not by the truth. Later on, when I was already in prison, in going over in detail the story of the crime and the trial, and picturing myself in the place of one of my judges, I came to the inevitable conclusion, each time, that I was guilty. Then I produced a very interesting and instructive work having set aside entirely the question of truth and falsehood on general principles, I subjected the facts and the words to numerous combinations, erecting structures, even as small children build various structures with their wooden blocks, and after persistent efforts I finally succeeded in finding a certain combination of facts, which, though strong in principle, seemed so plausible that my actual innocence became perfectly clear, exactly and positively established. To this day I remember the great feeling of astonishment, mingled with fear, which I experienced at my strange and unexpected discovery. By telling the truth I lead people into error, and thus deceive them, 
while by maintaining falsehood I lead them, on the contrary, to the truth and to knowledge. I did not yet understand at that time that, like Newton and his famous apple, I discovered unexpectedly the great law upon which the entire history of human thought rests, which seeks not the truth, but very similitude, the appearance of truth, that is, the harmony between that which is seen and that which is conceived, 